Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Caught up earlier today with Trent Mel. He's the CEO of First Cobalt, a uh, Canadian uh, cobalt developer. Uh, we talked to him about the fundraising recently, so the equity seems to be sorted. Just uh, now need to deal with the debt component on their rather small uh, capex requirements. So lots of movement since we spoke to them last December. On our thoughts on the conversation, the uh, financing, the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports. There's commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities, uh, exclusive to the club. There are training courses on there to help you with your own diligence process, make you a better investor. And of course, there's summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you some time. And if you want to join a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas in a nice, friendly, safe environment, free from trolling, abuse, and judgment, you can find them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Do try it, I think you'll like it. Trent, how are you doing, sir? Hey, good, very well, Matthew. Good to see you. Yeah, great to see you. We spoke at the beginning of December. How's your Christmas? Not bad. It was. Uh, we had some some snow and a lot of time just with the family, but all all said and done, we're we're doing great. That's 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 good news. That's good news because you look like you've been a bit busy. If I'm honest, I've been busy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I got some distractions. If I can't go to a restaurant, I might as well keep my head down and execute. So it's been it's been fun on the corporate front for sure. Okay, well, maybe the board needs to uh, make you stay at home more because uh, if I look at what's happened since we last spoke, obviously you got money in from the federal um, government. You are in the middle of a boat deal. You've, um, well, I'd, I'd like to talk to you about feedstock arrangements, obviously. Um, and it, and you kind of got to the point with Kuya Silver and you got that over the line. Actually, we spoke to them last week. So a few things to run through there. Not, and of course, the you know, US election uh, as well, just to you know finish things off. So all good. Should we talk about some of those? Sure. Yeah, you, you take it away. Happy to okay. take it in anywhere you like. Brilliant. Okay, before we do that, um, for people who need the story, a lot of new journalists are coming in here. Can you give them a one-minute overview of your business, and I'll pick up on some of those topics then. Sure. I mean, the starting point is, uh, despite some narratives you see out there, cobalt's essential to batteries. It, it, it will be for the foreseeable future, other than some lower range stuff. And so with that as a backdrop, you know, most of the cobalt uh, for the battery market comes out of the Congo. Most of that, 80% of that is refined in China. And so we're trying to replicate that supply chain here in North America only cobalt refinery on the continent. And then we've got some interesting mineral assets, particularly in Idaho, uh, which uh, our flagship asset has been under the radar, but it's a it's a huge part of our story once we get the refinery up and running. Okay, right. So I'm going to point people back to the link below in the description. That was from the conversation we had in December. We talked about business plan, strategy, people, assets, you know, how are you going to move things forward in 2021? Okay, so go to that. I don't want to have that conversation again because there's too much that's happened between now and then. Uh, so let's start with money, first of all. Okay, so one, 10 million bucks from federal and provincial governments. Okay, two, you've just closed a bought deal, right? And yep. in that context, um, you're going to be looking to raise some debt. So why don't you just deal with the money side of things because that's how you're going to finance moving this thing forward. You got it. Yeah. So our, our current CapEx is about 60 million uh, US dollars for the refinery expansion commissioning. A lot of that being equipment and engineering, because as we discussed, the plant's largely built and, and permitted and infrastructure is all there. So what we've done of late, uh, the, the, the government came in as uh, as a sponsor, as a supporter. So $5 million interest-free loan from the Canadian government. Now I'm talking in Canadian dollars, $5 million grant from the Ontario government, uh, just under 10 million on the bot deal. Uh, we've got this Kuya deal, bringing in four or five million in the short term. So 
you know, our, our equity component of the, of the refinery CapEx is pretty much dealt with now. Uh, our, you know, our stated mission here has been to not to over dilute our shareholders. So fortunately with the government announcement, stock price doubled. So it was a much less uh, dilutive uh, equity raise that we're doing now. So the, the focus is on the, the debt piece, which is yeah, kind of 45 million US is what we would see as the debt component of that. And that's, that's advancing quite nicely now that we've got all a few more pieces in place. Right. So, but what, what's the order of play? Because um, the board deal, the money will be in soon enough, right? Um, how do you go about negotiating the the debt component now? Because it's more than right. You've got your equity in place. Great. You've you've obviously the feasibility study some some nice numbers in there. But where are you with those debt discussions now? When can we expect to see that get over the line? Yeah, yeah, we've been uh, we've been fortunate. You know, the, in the inception, uh, we, we were looking at maybe working more closely with Glencore on the debt solution. But there there are a lot of market opportunities, and we've had several lenders standing by, private equity and uh, and traditional banks, uh, willing to lend us the money. They've been waiting for us. Uh, we wanted to show them line of sight on the feedstock, and so now that we've got that handled, we can talk about that. Um, we're, we're now moving forward. So in fact, this week we're we're doing the the round robin with the lenders telling them what we're doing. But uh, meanwhile, if I look at our schedule, we've got about six months of pre-construction activity and that started effectively last week. So we've got some long lead order items we need to address some detailed engineering. And so with a stronger treasury, we're not waiting for the debt to get going, uh, but uh, that, that should come soon enough because most of the, well, the people we're talking to right now, we've been talking to for more than six months and they've been waiting on us. So now it's kind of game on to move that forward. Uh, yeah, I've outlined kind of a 60 day, 75 day, process here to, to get to some kind of a finish line. So we'll see how we uh, how we deliver against that. Okay, so ideally, in this situation, companies want a kind of fairly vanilla debt structure, right? Yeah. And likewise, when people hear the word, you know, Glencore in, in discussion as well, they get a bit nervous because th- those guys know how to negotiate, right? So, yeah. you know, it's tough to get a good deal there. So what's your preference in terms of what this thing looks like when you're all said and done? Yeah, my, my preference would be traditional debt with a bank on, under kind of a, a green loan umbrella. And, and you know, we're having some of these discussions. Glencore, um, I think we mutually agreed that uh, we're going to be fine without their capital. I, I will say, you know, they're, they're, they're savvy, but half my team has their roots in the Glencore, Falconbridge, uh, Extrata days. And so, you know, they've been pretty good. Uh, through our feasibility study, uh, we had access to a global team of engineers and metallurgists. Uh, learning from their operations, learning from their experiences with cobalt and processing. So that part's been good. Uh, we don't need them on the balance sheet. We have $5 million of a loan that we you know, took out over a year ago. The expectation is that we're going to take that out here with this with this this raise. And so it's going to be strictly a commercial relationship with Glencore where we're buying buying feed from them and and, and full stop. Now we're, we're close to them in Sudbury. There, there could be more cooperation, collaboration, but it's going to be market-based commercial terms. Okay. The other component here is from when we talked, you're at 13 cents. Within within a two-week period, the price had traveled. So that's nice. People paying yeah. attention yeah. and listening to you and you getting out and telling this story. And they obviously believe what you're saying too. And that obviously means that you can negotiate better terms with, with a you know traditional lender, yeah. obviously. So less dilution, all, all, all good stuff. Um, but... Have you got a, again? Have you got a f- thought or a view in your mind as to what price you want to negotiate at? Because obviously, debt's hard, it's hard to. In equity, you can go and maybe sell them the idea of a premium, yeah. but you know, debt is debt, and it's long term. It's more conservative, risk averse, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you wait 
until you think, because you know, we're about to talk about, you know, some like some of the feedstock stuff, some of the PCM contracts, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Do you do you think there's more to be had if you just wait a little bit? I, I think I think we're having a lot of quiet conversations with them, uh, sort of non-public stuff about our our line of sight on offtake, and we've got the feed locked up, and we've got a draft to Senko EPCM contract. So we've got a few things that are that are advancing nicely. And then the backdrop is the fast markets uh, cobalt quote, which has gone up a lot. In the last three weeks, the metal price is up 16%. In the last six weeks, the sulfate price is up 28%. So you're looking at you know almost $23 a pound cobalt uh, in sulfate in China today. And, and so I think the, you know, the folks that we're dealing with um, are following the market. And, and I think there's a bullishness around you know, green investments, bullishness around EVs, a desire to get exposed to cobalt and, and our, you know, our vision statement now being recast is producing the world's most sustainable cobalt. And that comes from ethical sourcing and it comes from also a environmental footprint. And so all these ingredients being in Canada, having big, big commercial partners, not dealing with uh, the artisanal feed. I think, I think that's, um, that's helping us. So I don't feel the need to wait on the debt side. I think we're, we're well positioned to get that done. Okay. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I saw that actually, I saw that positioning in terms of, you know, a, a, cl- a cleaner, Greener investment in the sense that I think you're talking about 51 percent uh, less CIT yeah. than a typical Chinese producer. I mean that's that's got to be pretty impressive for funds when you get to the point where you're sort of chasing institutional uh, investors. Is it was that the thinking? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is the thinking. ESG funds are, are trying to get their head around around mining, and there are some big ones, some serious ones that are out there. They, certainly, our stock price appreciation gets us gets us closer to their kind of investment thresholds. You know, one thing that's often overlooked when you look at cobalt from the DRC, which is where most of battery cobalt is coming from, is you know, you, you've got some big uh, ESG front, you've got some big S&G issues to deal with, uh, with artisanal mining and just the, the government there. But on the environmental side, everything there is on a hydro grid, as is our refinery. And so when you talk about you know, green cobalt from a yeah, greenhouse gas environmental footprint perspective, it's a heck of a lot cleaner than these nickel laterite HPAL projects. Um, by, by virtue of you know the, the processing, but also the, the source of power. So this is going to have um, quite a quite a broad appeal if if people can differentiate between you know the, the artisanal feeds and the big the bigger commercial operations. And there's a lot going on in country to kind of clean up the supply chain and clean up the image through blockchain and, and better reporting standards. Yeah, I mean, I'd, well, there's a big discussion um, around the kind of ESG component. I mean, we've we've got. Few few programs going uh, discussing exactly how mining needs to, you know, change. It needs to, you know, rethink the way it uh, does things and the way it talks to the marketplace for sure. But not for, not for now. Give me give me some insights the way that these debt deals get structured because you have you presumably you want to do it in the best way for your shareholders going forward. And these things don't typically get fixed at the beginning. You have things and conditions which fall away. That, 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 that's what you would expect to be able to do. So what are the variables that you think are going to work in your favor with regards to how you structure the debt deal? Yeah. So when you look at the more traditional debt, that's a little bit easier, right? You're, you're modeling out your cash flows. You have an opportunity to take out the debt early in a, in a, in a more buoyant market. And then, and then if you work your way more towards kind of private equity structures, they, they try to get a little bit creative and they want to participate on the upside with you. Coupons are higher. Uh, and so for us, given that we're, you know, we're, we're buying, we're buying and, and we're buying hydroxide at a market price and buying the, buying the, uh, they're selling the sulfate rather on market terms. So everything is market based, but you know, those two elements move in tandem. And so we got to be careful as we structure deals 
at that end of the spectrum that we're not basing everything strictly off the uh, the end price at Cobalt. It has to be a margin driven uh, exercise. And so I've got a great team, a great finance team, and and some great Cobalt uh, contacts. You need to form a bit of a view, but not not too much, right? I mean, it, the cash flows have to drive it. So our view is five year debt with an opportunity to take it out earlier. I'd like to avoid all the royalties and streams and all those little sort of add-on features. Um, you know, they're, they're the equity piece now being taken care of, this should be a fairly straightforward uh, process for us. Um, to me, it comes down to, you know, I'm getting comfortable with the counterparty risk and, and then what the coupon is going to be. Uh, covenants, um, they'll be what they'll be, right? Project debt can be a little bit heavy. You have milestones, you have thresholds, you need to meet uh, ratios and whatnot, but nothing, I, I don't, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We, we got five counterparties and everyone's a little bit different, but thus far I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pretty comfortable with most of the terms you see. Right. Okay. I mean, right now, obviously, you're focused on getting getting the thing up and running and getting it into... Yeah. It's a relatively low CapEx project, okay? And if I look at some of the feasibility numbers, I mean, 50, 55% IRR is fantastic. It's, you know, just, just sub, you know, 200 million MPV8 number on it. You know, it's all, it's all nice. It's of a certain size and a certain scale. Do you think you're sort of comfortable with what you've got or, or once you're, this is all out of the way, you're going to be looking around to have conversations with other parties. We talked before about, obviously, you've got Gervois relatively down the road in, in, in Idaho, but there's a few other sort of smaller players where perhaps Cobalt is not their thing. Well, um, yeah, there's a couple of ways to take that. On the on the mineral asset side, our Iron Creek deposit has been, you know, kind of sitting in the shade here for the last couple of years, and, and it's time to get back at it. So you're going to see us drilling and spending on that. We've got some geophysics results that we've completed and we need to we need to share with the market just looking at extensional opportunities regional t- satellites and so you know next to Gervois we've got the next most advanced project in the belt yeah you know, there's a lot of speculation now in the blogs that first cobalt's going to start rolling up all these other juniors in the cobalt belt and I you know we've done enough M&A we, we're going to execute on what we have uh, my shareholders deserve to enjoy this ride right and we'll we can look at earnings and whatnot but we got our hands full um, where we might so so we'll grow that resource I'm confident we're going to grow that resource uh, over the course of the summer I think I can say that, um, but, but feeling really good about what we can do there because it's just a lot. Uh, we never we never stopped hitting mineralization on, on good widths, right? 10, 20, 30 meters. So where do you go next? I think the next growth opportunity for us is still at the refinery. I think the, the battery recycling market is in its nascency in the Western world. Uh, and while we're really recycling a lot of consumer electronics and power tools today, that's actually a net benefit because they're, they're cobalt heavy relative to battery, uh, uh, car, car batteries. So, so if we can position our, our refinery as a hydromet plant, to receive the black mass that's being processed and being sent to pyro facilities as opposed to ours, um, we should achieve a much better recovery and a lower operating cost compared to the established um, hub and the hub and spoke model. So I would say stay tuned there. That to me is the next exciting piece for us. Okay. Well, let's look, talk about the thing that I want to talk about, which is the feedstock uh, ag- uh, agreement, right? Because that's really important. That that really does control, well, can affect your margin, something that you, you know, not necessarily fully in control. So, where have you got to with it? What do the numbers look like? Yeah, so so given the counterparties we're talking to, you know, the OEMs, the Western OEMs, uh, provenance of your material is, is critical, right? I mean, artisanal mining and, and, and ethical sourcing is, is table stakes. It's you got to have that dealt with, and then we'll talk about your environmental footprint. So, you know, I think I think we've uh, we've dealt with that in spades here, and it, it's gotten the attention of the the people we're talking to on the other the other other end. If I were to, you know, kind of dream of who I would want to have a feedstock with, it's where we landed. It's uh, the Tanke operation, uh, former Freeport, now China Mali, and it's the uh, KCC operation Katanga of, uh, of Glencore. And those are the two 
highest quality, biggest, best commercial operations in the DRC. And so there's not a doubt. And, and look, we, we've got to certify it and we've got to go through our, our supply chain diligence. We're going to be applying the same uh, tools, the same management systems, the same third-party audits uh, to get there. But there's not a doubt in my mind. These are big, big commercial operations. Uh, they are well-run, um, ethical sourced, and the quality of the product is, is second to none. So I'm, I'm really excited we landed where we landed. And, um, you know, we're, we're well set up. And what was interesting to me, uh, Matthew, as we got into this as a junior company getting started in a, in a world of giants was the level of interest uh, on the part of almost any miner we talked to uh, for, for finding a refinery that would be ex-China with 80% of supply going there. There is, uh, we, everybody's looking at supply chain nowadays, post-COVID, at the idea of a Canadian refinery um, really got a lot of attention. And on the investor side, now that we've actually identified you know, the two giants in the space, uh, it sets us up well for execution. It does. And the people are always going to ask about the ethical components. So you're saying OEMs, battery manufacturers, they're happy. You've done your own diligence, you're happy, and you think that the fact that the cobalt is coming from where it's coming from, people should not be concerned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most of the world's battery-grade cobalt is coming out of those copper copper cobalt operations. And so you know, there is a lot going on. There's an artisanal mining alliance uh, in the DRC. There's government initiatives. There's industry-led initiatives. Tesla and Glencore are part of the same artisanal alliance. It's just to try to clean up that part of the supply chain. We can't play there. We're too small. We can't play in that area. I, I, I hope it works. And, and artisanal mining has a place in the third world. It just can't come to our refinery. It hasn't come of age. So we're going to rely on the big commercial operations that we can comfortably audit direct ship, right? Direct ship from their mine to our refinery, no traders, no blending. Uh, and then there's some blockchain initiatives that Glencore Yen is working on. And um, you know, we would hope to fall in line with that. But in the meantime, uh, again, let, let the big boys and girls figure it out and then we'll we'll uh, we'll toe the line. But in the meanwhile, uh, we've got the Cobalt Institute initiative, Seraph and, and RMI, and uh, we're gonna comply with that. And then it makes for a very seamless uh, certification process from Minehead out to the other end of our gate. Okay, so we had Kuya on last week, Kuya Silver on last week. Um, you've just obviously that deal got done. You, I mean, yeah. what's your version? Was it was it a good deal? He, he wasn't, I, I so, he wasn't so sure. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know, I'm it's, kidding. <laughs> it's um, it's a fabulous camp, and so this right. is how the company was founded, right? It was a three-way merger that got us, hmm. you know, the, 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 the I guess the, the the pole position in the Canadian Cobalt Camp. Uh, so many. We made it to rebrand it a little bit. Cobalt is the name of the town, but the town historically, it'll, I mean, it was more silver with cobalt byproduct. And so as we started drilling, um, look, we had spectacular silver grades there. And no surprise to anybody who knows that camp with 100 past producers. So, you know, under under their watch, they're going to buy, you know, a, a big a big piece of the land package. We're going to joint venture the rest. We've got, a, you know, we, we've got a, a great position here with three great assets. We have that asset, we have Idaho, and then we've got a refinery. We just don't have the time and the bandwidth to get to it. But we're going to participate in the upside with, you know, shares of Puyo. We'll have the cash payments, and we'll have the JV. So I think it's a, it's a win-win. We're going to help them. We've got a, we've got the best data set uh, of anybody in that camp. And I think there's a lot of unfinished business because as we were looking for cobalt, our our model three years ago was big disseminated open pit cobalt or base metal deposits. Um, the the results we have are, are really amenable to these very high grade structural deposits, sort of underground vein style systems and. Uh, there's a lot of unfinished business that we never bothered to follow up on. So I think they'll be able to hit the ground running, probably surprise the market with their very first little program. Right. Um, I get the upside, you know, sharing some of the upside, great. But um, how much cash was involved and when do you get it? So on closing, we're working on the docs now. So maybe by maybe by Feb, uh, we'll, we'll close a million in cash, three million in shares. 
that gets then the first uh, land package. And then there's a, there's an option in JV for a bigger land position that triggered with a million dollars uh, payment. And then there's a bunch of other sort of milestone and triggers uh, down the line. So call it four or 5 million in consideration here in the next six months. Would you check out in terms of, would, would you cash in on the shares relatively quickly? I, I don't know that I would now, right? Our, our cash position is great and, and growing. Um, so I'd, I'd like to kind of ride that, ride that benefit. And, uh, and look there, you know, I view this as a partnership, so I don't want to hurt them. We'll, uh, we'll see, see where we go. But the cash, we're not in a rush to sell the shares by any stretch. Yeah, no one ever wants to hurt your partner, but at some point your, your, your needs are different from their needs and you'll have a conversation about the timing or, and how you do that, that with you? Okay. Yeah, abs- absolutely, yeah. Good man, good man. Um, okay, just if, before we go, can you just remind me, because there's a lot of moving parts there now because you've got the money to make sure that you, there are. Uh, what's the sequence of events that we should be looking out for going forward? Yeah, so the two things that are going on right now, well, three things, I guess. Um, uh, the Treasury continues to grow, and so we've got... Uh, Discussions uh, in hand now with the Senko for an EPCM contract, and so that'll take you know probably, that's probably the next thing to to get announced, I suppose, uh, what that looks like. It won't be a fixed price in brownfields. We're going to have a decent sized owner's team, and it's frankly it's a small capex. So we feel pretty good. We can mitigate the risk with the right the oversight, technical advisory boards, and the like. Uh, after that, it'll be the financing, uh, which um, you know I don't think we'll hit it at the end of March, but it shouldn't be far beyond that before we can announce that that's in place. All the while, as I mentioned, we're doing long lead, we're doing procurement work and detailed engineering, lots of optimization. But you know, if you want to look at on the ground construction, then you know, early summer, uh, we get to work and start, uh, I guess, erecting the first building. Um, not essential, a lot of this is equipment, right? We got to order in and, and, and spec and whatnot. So uh, the next day, 18, 20 months is going to be just the ramp up and the commissioning. You know, first feed is uh, scheduled to come to our site October of 2022. And so the schedule is driving towards that and uh, we're, we're looking pretty good. Have you um, spent much time on the, in terms of the recruitment component? Because you're going to need a whole bunch of people. Because you told me last time, you know, skeleton uh, staff, you know, you're watching that GNA, right? So have you identified have conversations with the, the teams or people, individuals that you need on board? And are you confident in getting them, you know, in time? Yeah, we've got a kind of a two-stage, yeah, probably a three-stage hiring process. So I'm, I'm cautious with the Treasury. Uh, again, I'm an investor. Treat it like your own. But there comes a point that Garrett McDonald, my board, who worked for JDS, you know, he's an EPCM guy and he's a trend. At some point, you just got to take the plunge, right? And, and so we had that chat, the chairman and I and Mark Trevisiel, who ran the Glencore Smelter and is leading this project. It's, it's time now. It's time to spend responsibly, but we've got to hire a team. So we've got a, you know, our, our top metallurgist uh, will be coming in the door here shortly. We've got, it's a small team. It's, it's going to be a you know, four or five person owner's team with Asenko kind of carrying the load. And then when we start on the construction, then you hire a few more bodies and, and we've got lots of time to figure out the operator team. So the people we're bringing in now will likely stay through operation. Uh, but I think with the experience and, and I guess the track record that Asenko has built on execution of plants, uh, we feel pretty good that we're going to be able to lean on them in the early days as we build up our own capacities. And I've got, I've got personal friends in the senior ranks of that, of that organization. So that helps as well. There's a high level of trust and they've proven themselves with us over the last year. Okay, so GNA will remain tight. Well, yeah. Good. Okay, Trent, look, good to catch up with you. I just wanted a quick, a quick update because obviously, like I said, in the space of you know six weeks, a lot's happened. We'll be watching you. I think Carl Watt could be interesting this year. Um, stay in touch, okay? Will do, will do. And I would, I would just add, Matthew, in conclusion that with the, the Biden administration, I think, I think America uh, is underestimated for its EV potential, biggest consumer market in the world. Uh, we saw what happened in Europe, surpassing China, doubling EV sales in a year. 
watch watch America because even independent of the U.S. election, we're going to go from 16 models of EV in 2020 to I think it's 38 this year, uh, on track for 121 announced in five years' time. Now you overlay a two trillion dollar clean energy plan and a friendly White House. Uh, I think our timing could be really good. Yeah. Yeah, again, I think it's another big discussion um, to be had. But okay, uh, like I say, stay, stay in touch. Let us know how you're getting on. We'll be watching you, okay? Okay, thanks very much. All the best. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.